Let's do it. Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando, coming from you live up here on the Smith River in the beautiful state of Jefferson, where uh, we uh, were getting pelted with hail yesterday at the farm. And then today, it's gorgeous blue skies, going to hit the 60s. Um, you know, it's been uh, an interesting winter, not too harsh, but also we've had some interesting weather. But overall, uh, Bear, I, I would say that um, winter is, is finally kind of showing its last legs here. And uh, we're excited for spring and planting and, and all that comes with that. So um, we have uh, Anarchapoco going on this week. We've got a virtual booth at Bear spoke on Tuesday uh, on the Health and Wellness Day um, and was received quite well there. It was really cool, Bear. You're getting introduced by our uh, someone I love, Ben Swan. And uh, watching uh, that whole day go by with like Andrew Kaufman talking and, and some other friends, Beth Martins, uh, that was great. It's still going on right now. You guys can catch it at anarchopoco.com. And then, of course, we hope to be there in person next year and um, surf and hit the good weather down there. But uh, so Anarchopoco is going. And then, of course, we have Reunion Summit in 10, nine days now. I put my heart and soul into that, reunionsummit.com forward slash watch. Bear Lando's featured, including all of our friends. It's a massive, massive summit, uh, and it's all about community and affecting change and really pushing uh, the new world that we all want to see into reality. So check that out. That's reunionsummit.com forward slash watch. And for those new to the podcast, if you want to know more about Alphavedic, go to alphavedic.com. Today, we are super pumped because um, we have Matt Maruka from Raw Optics on the show. Um, I'm really looking forward to this one because I've been diving deeper into the science of natural light and sun. And of course, we talk about the more esoteric, etheric um, uh, ideas of what the sun is and what light is and the informational fields behind it and what the real science is. And so we get to dive deep with Matt, who's done a ton of research himself so much that he's got he has his own uh, um, line of glasses, which I'm actually wearing. I, I wear blue blocking sunglasses, or excuse me, blue blocking glasses, because as a web developer, crypto developer, etc., I'm in front of. You can't see it, but I've got three massive screens in front of me right here, and so I wear it because I am unfortunately I am in front of screens a lot, and uh, it's uh, you know it's something I have to do. And Matt can explain more on the show why that's important. But even during the show, I wear it because I am exposed so much to these screens. So uh, that being said, uh, Matt Maruka is the founder and CEO of Raw Optical. As a child, Matt struggled constantly with debilitating headaches, allergies, and gut issues. He spent years trying Western medical drugs, Eastern diets and herbs, and modern diets and supplements to no avail. But everything changed when he learned about the role of mitochondria in producing energy and maintaining health in the body. Matt's research led to the understanding that all chronic diseases manifest when mitochondria are severely damaged and at the root of his own health issues. This led to the realization of why his own mitochondria had become compromised. In Matt's own words, mitochondria are electromagnetic, quote unquote, in nature, which means that their ability to process food and make energy is controlled by light. Every night, a hormone called melatonin helps to repair a mitochondria while we sleep. The problem was I was sabotaging myself with my late night TV, phone, and computer use, destroying my melatonin levels and my mitochondria. The blue light frequencies and devices mimicked the sun and tricked my brain into thinking it was daytime and that I didn't need to sleep. 
I had to find a way to reset my circadian rhythm so my mitochondria could get the rest and repair needed. This would become the origins of raw optics. So today we're going to dive into light. We're also going to touch on Matt's journey with his own company, which something Bear and I talk about a lot is the, the need for people to really embrace entrepreneurship and, and go out and find what your passion is, your vocation, and take charge of your own business. And we're really excited about all new forms of commerce that are coming out uh, and new ways that we can support each other as a community uh, with our own uh, imperatives and our own businesses. So uh, welcome, Matt. Welcome, Bear. Lando, Dr. Lando, how are you today, sir? Doing great. Spring's definitely here. It's uh, sunny out and we got a work crew going on. We're clearing the forest for the upcoming planting. We're uh, making plans for our building our new lab. I got a contractor coming out today. So all things are going. Hey, Matt, uh, really a joy to have you here. And uh, good to see you're soaking up the sunshine in Costa Rica there. Wish I was there with you. It's a favorite surf destination. So um, good to have you here, my friend. And, you know, there's so many things we could talk about today, uh, you know, not to uh, not in the least is uh, just, you know, uh, I, I don't want to keep saying at your age, but, you know, you do represent a different demographic. And most of the folks in that um, in that category sort of, uh, you know, are waiting for jobs and, you know, welfare checks and everything else. And meanwhile, you know, you educated yourself first based on uh, health uh, challenges you had, you got to the bottom of them uh, on your own, figured it out, and then also developed a company behind it. So that, that's just an incredible story. And then also really got in with the science, not just biological, but just what really represents light. And as Mike already uh, said, you know, it's not just incandescence. Uh, you know, it's really intelligent substance with informational fields, which is why we don't get the effects from artificial light that we get from the sun. And uh, so, Matt, take it away. We'll, we'll go where, whatever direction you want to take it. And uh, good to have you here, buddy. Hey, and Matt, you're, uh, you're muted right now, as I was too. It's good. We're having a, a, a moment of silence. There we go. All right. Can you hear me now? Yes, Matt. Welcome. Okay. You're there. Funky. Great. So I was just saying I'm very grateful to be on the show. So thank you guys so much to have an opportunity to speak with you guys and to have, you know, even just the few minutes we spoke before to hear some of your wisdom about life and traveling. So very best that I can to heal myself and become the best person that I can within this lifetime, as well as to help others to discover their best selves. So that's really the mission that ultimately drives me is that I want to be the best that I can be. And I want to be able to share what I learn along that journey with as many people as I can, because from my experience and people I know, it seems like so many people live in a really 
challenging life. Like uh, most people just life isn't easy. It's really, really hard all the time or a lot of the time. And I lived there for a long time and still often, you know, find myself falling back into those patterns of thought and old emotions and so on. And so my goal is again, just to really break free of that and then hopefully be able to be a light for others. And I think a lot of the things I've learned so far in the journey have been tremendously, I mean, I know they've been tremendously beneficial to me and they've been beneficial to other people who I've been able to share these things with. So I just want to be able to share what I've learned up to this point and always be the student and keep learning. That's sort of my, uh, my why and, and how I operate. Yeah. And, and you're, you're living proof that things can be done differently. You know, we have a good number of people these days that get up every day, do what they hate the most, but they do it for a paycheck. Uh, you know, they they go to work and have a supervisor that tells them what to do and how to do it. And of course, everybody's just leading these lives of uh, uh, quiet desperation, I think, you know, because they don't think there's any alternative. But what you found is there not only are there alternatives, but it, to to exercise those options, you have to stick your neck out a bit. You have to take some risk. But then, you know, uh, you know, I've, Mike and I have done the same thing in our lives. When you do take those risks, uh, not only do, do you get rewarded, but, um, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, you align yourself with forces that otherwise would not be available to you. And then that's when the magic really happens. So, uh, so good for you. And, and I think what's happening with uh, a lot more people going forward as systems fail and and people realize that, no, this isn't what I signed on for. This isn't what I'm really here just to pick up a paycheck. Uh, people are starting to take those risks and find out that, wow, life really is an adventure again. So so that's an amazing story you've got there, Matt. Yeah, thank you. I definitely feel that way. I mean, so my, my background, that introduction was pretty um, suitable. But in as a more extended version, I'll share a bit about my background and sort of how I got into this, you know, from my voice when I was about as long as I can remember, actually, I've had some sort of health challenges. So gut issues like gas and bloating and gastric distress and just discomfort when I would eat foods and I didn't really know what triggered it and what affected it. And as, as well, I had really strong pollen allergies and all sorts of seasonal allergies throughout as young as I can remember about like age eight. So third grade in elementary school, I was just having these horrible congestions and just head like pressure headaches. And just the whole thing was, was kind of not fun at all to say the least. And then as I went into high impeding my ability to function as a, a human in, in school and as just a, a person who wanted to be happy and enjoying life. And now that I've learned about the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza, you know, earlier on, I started to blame all these um, concepts or these challenges, I should say, on environmental things and diet. And after learning, and not just Dr. Joe Dispenza, but as, as a representation and sort of a gateway to the broader world of energy and spirituality, um, something that I've been very interested in the last few years, but only diving deep in the last, I don't know, six months or so, I, I have a hunch that these 
health challenges maybe had more to do with emotional traumas and challenges from my very young age, like two, three, when my parents were fighting a lot and having a divorce um, and sort of, you know, because my issues are in my second center, my gut and all that and my immune system. And that's the center related to security, stability, family, and so on. So it's an interesting, um, interesting parallel, not to say that it's for certain. But anyhow, that's sort of like my, my more current theories and understanding of my challenges. But at the time, I had no idea of anything really. So other than that, I was young and just having these challenges. I started getting breakouts of acne all over my skin and just as many teenagers do, but I really felt that that wasn't supposed to happen. And that vanity was what triggered me to want to improve myself. Uh, you know, I had done different things for my health issues, but I didn't think that those could be that, that we just couldn't change these things, that they're genetic and you can't change them. So anyhow, when I started reading about how to heal my skin, I learned about diets like the Paleolithic diet as a sort of introductory you know, thing I came across on the internet. And the concept seemed really sound to me. It really clicked with me to eat a more natural diet that wasn't full of, you know, pesticides and processed foods and all that stuff. And when I did that, just by cutting out all of this refined junk food that I was eating as the base of my diet, I just felt so much better as, as you might expect that my, it was literally like there was a big haze lifted off of my eyes to the fact that I might actually be able to affect my body through things I could do. And as soon as like, you know, as a 13, 14 year old who was doing this Google searching and trying to figure this all out, as soon as that spark was sort of lit inside of me, it has never been able to be unlit since because once you know, you just can't not know anymore on anything of that level. And so it just progressed and evolved since then. You know, I, I got really deep into dieting, trying to heal my challenges using diet and made good progress in the beginning, but then really felt like I hit a, a spot where I couldn't advance no matter how much stricter I went, how many, you know, uh, I went on an autoimmune protocol, paleo diet to remove all allergens and gut healing diets with lots of bone broth and collagen and healing foods and that, that, that whole kind of thing. And just a lot of, of extreme dieting, as I, I would call it. And as a fifth, 14, 15 year old at this time, it became really hard for me like thinking that I could solve my issues if only I was a little bit more strict and rigid with myself. And it ended up sort of like in, in a state of, uh, I ended up in a state of like an eating disorder and sort of like self-loathing, self-loathing, um, you know, eating disorder, yo-yo dieting cycle that was really challenging for me at that age, especially. And then, you know, I was super open to any information I could possibly come across. And I came across the work of a, neurosurgeon blogger who was sort of co-mingling in the paleo diet world named Dr. Jack Cruz, who was sharing some really, really cool information that really caught my ears about how basically diet and exercise are a good start to improve health, but that basically our biology is significantly more complex, 
according to the literature and even the Western research, the, the most ad advanced and deep Western research that's available, which is what he was focusing on. And that basically trying, th that there's so many more factors influencing our body than just food and exercise and supplementation, for example, that to try to reduce our system to that level of complexity and say that you could heal a lot of modern diseases, which may or may not be related to diet with diet alone is a bit reductionist and simplistic, almost as reductionist and simplistic as the Western symptom drug model that these diets and supplement regimens and so on actually seek to oppose or overcome that their, their level of thinking is, is in the similar line of thinking um, because of, again, being somewhat reductionistic. And this was super fascinating to me. Sort of the main tenets that interest me was the, were the concept of, you know, of consuming greater quantities of seafood because seafood contains a large amount of the omega-3 DHA, which is useful or used for the evolution of the human brain from an ape into a human and so we have a huge demand for DHA in our brain, but we don't have a very strong ability to produce it ourselves, which implies that it came from an external source in our environment, an environmental source during evolution at some point. And there's archaeological evidence to support that humans transitioned to, or apes transitioned to humans that coincided with consumption of a lot of shellfish on the co in coastal regions of Africa, like easy to access shellfish that didn't involve uh, making fit, you know, hooks and lines. That's, that's um, not, not shellfish, just, how can I say, just pure shellfish that you can crack open and smash with a rock as opposed to actually needing some evolved brain to go out and fish for real fish. So anyhow, this was something that fascinated me. And as I dug deeper and learned more about the work that Dr. Cruz was sharing, I was learning about these different researchers talking about these different theories. And what started to interest me the most was this focus on light and basically how at the core, even of all of our food, it's electrons that are excited by light energy that we take into our body. And the reason they're able to give us energy is because they've been excited by sunlight as opposed to like, for example, eating dirt or something that's inorganic matter. So organic matter has been excited by sunlight. So that's what food really is. It's like crystallized sunlight. And even at a deeper level, learning that our bodies are fundamentally light-based. I read a bunch of books and textbooks of all sorts of different researchers over the past hundred years and, and more who basically studied our body and found that it isn't just a bag, a sack of chemicals that's having all these chemical reactions occurring. We're actually significantly more complex and effectively our bodies are essentially they're electromagnetic in, in origin. You know, we are these beings of energy and of light. And again, like someone such as Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about the, the research is very clear that in our life, it is the field, our energy field that actually directs and informs and instructs matter in our body, as opposed to matter creating the field. In other words, one of the books you may, you guys may be familiar with the body electric by a gentleman named Robert O. Becker studied and basically found that there's no explanation in traditional biochemistry and biology for how cells in the body 
know which cell to become because every cell has the same DNA, the same sets of DNA. Uh, and yet up here we have a brain and down below we have our feet and in between we have our kidneys and our liver and all of our organs and our blood and our veins and our capillaries. And all of these things are, they, all the cells have the same exact genetic code. So he, he was also trying to understand how this could be the case as well as why certain animals can regenerate entire limbs and humans can't. And he, he basically, after studying a wide variety of things, he determined that there's this previously really unknown and undocumented electrical system that makes up the body and that this electrical system and basically it's, it's an electromagnetic field is basically the governor of the function of the entire body. And this is, in my evaluation, directly related to the, the seven Hindu traditions. And so, you know, these are things that people in past societies were able to, to become aware of. But this was all the stuff I was learning about that just completely opened my mind to a much greater possibility of, of healing that I could achieve myself. And so I started this protocol that went a lot deeper than just the food I was eating. And it involved a lot of different things. Like basically the main thing was getting out in the sun and mitigating my exposure to artificial light, but also mitigating my exposure to man-made electromagnetic radiation, like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth cell towers, and getting more connected to the earth, like by, by going out and being in nature and grounding and being barefoot and swimming in cold bodies of water or just any natural body of water and, you know, eating naturally a healthy diet. But the focus wasn't so much on the food as it was in this case on the environment and the bioenergetics. And that was really what got me into the research on light and how it affects the body. And to sort of summarize that the best analogy for understanding at a, at a basic level, the difference between a focus on food for health, as opposed to a focus on our overall engines and our field even would be thinking about a car, for example, that has, it's been used a lot and it's been worn out and hasn't been taken to a mechanic and all of the spark plugs are worn out or a bunch of the spark plugs are worn out. The car wouldn't be able to run essentially, you know, maybe it could start, maybe there'll be misfiring, maybe it'll move, but it won't move quickly. Maybe it won't start at all. And for someone to take that car to the gas station and try to not be able to solve the issue of the broken and worn out spark plugs. And in the same way that premium fuel versus regular fuel can't fix broken, worn out spark plugs in a car's engine, when our body's engines, our cellular engines called mitochondria have become damaged and dysfunctional because of our lifestyle and not going to our mechanic, then trying to put in premium fuel like clean, high quality food and even supplementation like fuel additives can't fix the spark plugs in the engine. It's a different system, effectively, the fuel and the engine. One is going in, the other is actually processing and managing. And what controls the engine in our body, the engines really, because there's actually hundreds of trillions of them, but it, it, it's our circadian biology and it's energy. So it's the electromagnetic energy coming, like the information we speak about coming from the sun, coming from even celestial bodies like the moon and the stars, although that's a little bit further out there and 
not my personal area of expertise, but these things certainly have an effect on our bodies. And, but particularly the, the sun being the closest star and the giver of life on earth, or one of the main givers of life on earth has a huge impact on our biology. And our cells are literally, they have a need a necessity to prepare for the changing environment every day in order to be able to adapt and evolve. And, and one of the most profound changes is that we have sunlight throughout the day, and then we have darkness at night. So our cells actually adjust and we use nighttime as a time to repair as humans. And we use daytime as a time to be active and do all sorts of other things like mainly scavenging for nutrition and nutrients from the environment and reproduction and, and so on. And so we need to be, you know, connected to that to function the way we're designed. And if we're connected to the indoor lifestyle, or I should say disconnected from our natural lifestyle, but entirely indoors on screens, artificial light sources, and all of these types of things like computers and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and cell signals, then our, not only is our circadian rhythm off in our brain and then therefore the rest of our organs, but our mitochondria, our cellular engines can't produce energy correctly at all. And so we, we start to see all sorts of dysfunctioning dysfunction occurring throughout the cells. And there's a lot more research behind all of this that we can get into, but that's sort of the higher level overview of, you know, you can see my progression. It just expanded my horizon so much that I couldn't go back to business as usual in, in the focus on just diet and exercise alone. And then, you know, in the, in the years since then, that was when I was 15, 16, 17, when I was really researching and focusing a ton on light for my own health, I started my business to be able to support myself and travel, which are, of course are the blue light blocking glasses that Mike mentioned and is wearing right now. The reason I'm not wearing them is because I'm out in basically the sun. I'm in the shade, but I'm getting the full spectrum of natural light, including near infrared, which is a key component that's blocked generally speaking, when we're indoors behind windows. And so because I'm getting the near infrared, I'm basically protected from any harmful light coming off the computer here. Sorry, sorry guys, Matt's freezing a little bit. Um, Based on the circles I was running in. A little bit. Uh, Here, wait. Can hey, you Matt. Me okay, uh, now. Yeah, yeah. There's you're breaking up a little bit, but back up to the infrared light uh, and uh, importance of that because that's something I do want to touch on. And actually, dude, you're you're hitting it on so many levels right now. <laughs> like, um, I, I want to kind of break down some of this, and I know I know I'm sure Bear wants to touch on a ton of what Let's you're talking do it. about. Yeah. Um, uh, first and foremost, I must say mad props to you at 1415, taking your health into your own hands, not looking to authority. I don't know if you kind of went down that line of like going to allopaths or going to officialdom to figure out what's going on with you, but that's fantastic that you said, I got to figure out this is not normal. Like what I'm dealing with, with my health doesn't seem natural. doesn't seem like how, um, this body is, you know, is here on this planet to experience life in this way. Something's malfunctioning. So let me get on good old Google and figure out what the heck's going on. And so at that early of an age shows to me just how tapped in you are as a soul, as a light being 
for you to take responsibility for yourself and know that you are sovereign in that, hey, I got to figure this out. That right there is like most of the battle. People tend to give their authority away and look towards authority figures. Hey, fix me, help me, doc, what's wrong with me? So first and foremost, mad props to you on that. Because um, that is really cool. And then your journey going from, and this is, Bear and I see this with, with our community because we're constantly being hit up about diet and stuff. And this is something that we did a whole talk on veganism, a whole alpha cast on veganism versus paleo. And in the end, our message is, hey, guys, it's just food. It's particles. It's, it's still the constituents of the materialism. And as long as your consciousness is focused on that, you're still on the same wheel, whether you're paleo, whether you're vegan. And now there are different elements to that. And I'll let Bear talk to that in terms of spirituality. We know veganism allows for a, a kind of a, a less dense form of reality. And that can allow for opening up the third eye. And, and that works with your glandular system. And it's, it's very advanced. However, the core, what I love about your journey is that you, you went away from that, you said, okay, diet's not really working. Like I'm being really hardcore with these diets. What is going on here? That it seems like I'm abusing myself. What's deeper. And then it's like the classic observation of science. You look outside, like right now I'm looking outside. What do I see? Light, the sun. What's the predominant force that's, that's affecting everything. It's connecting. Everything is the sun is light. So that's amazing that you kind of, you know, you made that evolution towards that understanding at that early age at like 16, 17. That's incredible, bro. At 16, 17, I was worried about, you know, traditional things in high school that kids worry about, like, will I, you know, does this girl like me? Am I going to make the, the, the basketball team? So uh, props to you, brother. Um, now to backtrack and I'll let Bear step in here. The... I, I want to get deep into light because we've had some amazing guests on in the past uh, that and we've gone into light a lot. And there's some exciting new science that is actually coming out of universities that's talking about mitochondria and that, in fact, humans may be more closer to plants than we thought. And that we might be, uh, um, what's the term here? Uh, it's I'm looking up. Actually, this is an amazing book. Sayer G, a homie of ours, uh, Regenerate has some really new exciting science. I don't know if you've if you've read this book, Matt, or not, um, but there's really exciting new developments um, with this idea that humans might be what's called a photo heterotroph, which means we're a hybrid between a traditional autotroph, which would be a plant, which just may, basically says um, plants create their own food through the sun, which we know how that process works, of course, um, and how they convert light uh, through um, uh, the chemical process of chlorophyll to create the carbohydrates and the sugars and everything that animals eat and humans eat. But also we're finding that their um, heterotrophs are traditionally those animals that require that, right? They require the conversion of light into plant matter so that we can have that energy, which you so perfectly said was crystallized form of light, which is how we understand it. But we can go beyond that and start to see that actually our mitochondria has the ability to convert that energy to ATP without the need of that necessarily. And, and this is something that Bear and I can explain on higher kind of 
forms of physics with waveform physics and stuff. So this is the kind of stuff that we like to get into AlphaCast because we like to push the limits of what people are talking about. So I'd love to go into that. And if you're aware of these newer studies and then to touch upon these different aspects of light, the, quali the quality of light, the quality of natural light the, uh, uh, across the spectrum and how that in engages with not only our physiology, but our consciousness. So I know that's kind of a, a number of things there. Um, so let's get into it. Um, Bear Lando, any comments on stuff I just said? Um, yeah, a ton of comments, but I'd <laughs> rather hear uh, Matt maybe just respond to everything you threw okay. out there. So uh, Matt, if you want to go for it, uh, do it. And you're, and you're muted, brother. It seems, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it yeah. seems with enough inactivity, my microphone continues to turn itself off. I'm not quite sure why that would be, but um, okay. does the sound sound good okay. this way? Yeah, you're good. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I have a, a studio mic, but it's if it's going to keep cutting out, then that's not going to be very helpful, even if it sounds a little better. So, sound good, yes, still? Yeah, you're good, brother. All right. Fantastic. Awesome. So, basically... Yes, I'm familiar with these concepts. It's something that I've seen and heard of and read about many times now. And thankfully, people send me a lot of articles when they come out now, just because people are like, oh, my gosh, did you see this thing? And a lot of the time, I don't even have to dig very far because people just send me the cool stuff that's coming out, which I appreciate. Um, but yes, this has been something that has come up many times in my own studies that we can essentially photosynthesize based on the evidence available. Um, there's different theories and mechanisms of how this exactly works. And I couldn't say that any of them are, you know, in my view, fully 100% accurate, because I think there just needs to be more and more research done. But they all seem to be pretty directionally accurate. And so like the two main ones, you know, that come to mind, one is what you mentioned that when we take red and near infrared light into our mitochondria, our mitochondria can basically make ATP free of charge, just basically free light energy, spinning our ATPase and then allowing us to make ATP, which can power our cells and do all sorts of really cool things. That's one. Another is that, you know, with the work of a guy like Do uh, Dr. Gerald Pollock on the fourth phase of water up in the North Pacific Northwest as well. I, I wonder if you guys maybe you've interviewed him. He'd be a really great guest. He's uh, on the list. He, uh, for, yes, um, we, we get asked about him once a month. Yes. Very familiar with his research, by the way. Amazing. Yeah. And based on his work, in addition to our mitochondria receiving light energy and being able to make ATP, our cellular water is able to absorb light energy, especially infrared. And that causes the water to become structured in the uh, basically what he calls the fourth phase of water, also called the exclusion zone, because when they first saw it, it was excluding anything because it was structured and even tiny, tiny, uh, anything as small as a single proton couldn't even enter this little structured zone of water. And it only occurs this structured water when the water is up against any sort of hydrophilic or water loving surface and in the presence of near infrared light. And then ultraviolet light can actually further, significantly further expand this structured zone. So it makes a lot of sense understanding how water works at a base level and then knowing, based on what I've studied, that our body benefits tremendously from infrared light, like in the case of saunas and red light therapy and so on. 
And then also knowing that our body benefits tremendously from strong ultraviolet light as well within reason uh, if we don't overdose and, and harm our skin and so on. So yes, that's sort of a number two is that we're basically batteries for light energy as an entire organism. And again, this is something that's not yet quantified or quantified. It, it's quantifiable for sure, but it hasn't quite been quantified based on what I've read and understood. Maybe it has in some, you know, hidden, um, less well-known research, but this is the kind of stuff that I really want to keep trying to uncover and understand because there's all these researchers who have studied these things for decades and they may even be dead now, but they discover these things and their work was just kind of never appreciated. So those are the types of people who I really hope to, you know, continue to learn about and, and dig up. And then additionally, there's a researcher out of Mexico City named, I believe it's Gabriel or Arturo Solis Herrera. And he studied, he has a book called Melanin, the Master Molecule about photosynthesis and human photosynthesis and basically describes that we can use melanin to, we use melanin with light energy to split water and then release a ton of free electrons, which is also very similar to Gerald Pollack's model in the fourth phase of water, because basically, you know, in both of them, the water molecule is being split just like in photosynthesis, and that's releasing electrons and energy that our cells can basically use. So it seems that they're both on the same, in fact, they're all on the same track. And based on other things I've read, I would further this because I see that our body is entirely electromagnetic. And so that actually, you know, I would go as far as saying that every reaction and every chemical in the body is ultimately responsive and directed by light and energy. And although I said I would go as far as saying it's really not that far out there because, for, you know, from, from several different angles, based on the work we spoke about with Dr. Becker, we know that matter itself and molecules themselves really can't do anything unless they're animated or moved by energy. So in other words, if we didn't have any energy, according to Isaac Newton, we would be inanimate. We wouldn't be able to move. We would be as dead as a, as a, as a rock right? But we're very animate and there's lots of things happening in our body, which means we have lots of energy occurring in ourselves. And that energy is what's governing the function of, of the 100,000 biochemical reactions per second per cell, which is the, you know, only the approximation of what's happening. But that's a lot of things happening that all need to be controlled and governed and light and energy have, there's enough wavelengths of light that could basically govern every single process, you know, in the body. Um, so that's, that's really one angle to look at it, that every single biomolecule and every single reaction is governed by certain wavelengths of light. Another way to look at it, and, and very similarly, is that every single atom, you know, it's known, every single atom has certain absorption spectra of light. You know, every single atom is based on a nucleus, which has protons and neutrons, and then electrons that orbit around the nucleus, which basically make it a, an atom, the fundamental unit of, of matter as, as physicists currently understand it. And basically electrons, because they're electromagnetic, they interact with different wavelengths of light, depending on the characteristics of that particular atom. So it follows that in, in research as well, and the studies, you know, this is very clear in physics. No, I don't think any physicist even would debate this, but basically molecules that are made of atoms also have specific and unique absorption and re-emission spectra of light. And then if you go from regular molecules to biomolecules that build up life, 
every single biomolecule, every single molecule in our living organism is also responsive to light energy, just as its constituent parts are. And when you go out in the sun in the solar spectrum, we're literally exposed to a very broad array of light that interacts with all of these, uh, basically all of the matter in our body. But where, where I would go is I would go one step further and basically say that it isn't that we just are the sack of chemicals that happen to just appear on earth randomly and magically. And then we happen to be able to go out and receive the benefits of the sun. I would put it the other way that actually the, the energy of the sun, that is the energy that's dominantly present on earth is what is actually powering, animating and driving the evolution of all of the things in our body that we can currently observe respond to that light. In other words, the sun gave us life and drove our evolution forward on in a large number of ways. And so the things we see occurring in our body are sort of the, the children of the light of the sun. And so the reason that this subject that I'm very passionate about and interested in is, is so relevant today is because we've literally moved to an indoor lifestyle. So it's basically like we, we're like a phone that's never getting connected to its charger anymore. So we're just inside. And because we run on, we are able to run on energy sources separate from sunlight, like food, which is meant to be sort of a supplement and additional to light, that we are able to survive in an indoor lifestyle. But I would definitely assert, and I do regularly, that we are designed to be functioning first on solar light energy and secondly on food. And then by going inside, we are functioning as effectively zombies, you know, like really, and I'm not exaggerating that we are really functioning as like sleep, tired, stressed, third eye shut zombies that are so, so different from what even our native American and, you know, native tribal ancestors would have functioned as far as their levels of consciousness and openness and awareness. And I think when we look at, you know, people ask questions like how did the Egyptians build the pyramids and, and, you know, how did humans do all sorts of other tremendously amazing things and have all sorts of amazing abilities. It actually isn't that far fetched when we just look at like how detrimental our life is to our normal physiological functioning. Now, of course, there's different theories like aliens and other sorts of entities and forces that invo are involved with the pyramids and all sorts of other things that I'm not anywhere near an expert on, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I would, so I wouldn't make any claims about that particular case. I know people have feelings about that a lot of the time, but you get what I'm saying. Like humans have tremendous power as individuals. And I think we're just barely scratching the surface. Even the people in our society who are waking up, I think are, are, scratching the surface of what's really possible. There are definitely few who are really doing it like, you know, Sad Guru and other gurus in India and other common people who have just tapped into higher levels of consciousness. And so that's really for me where this is all going. That's a bit of a, a long winded answer to your question about humans being connected to light energy. But I do th the research beyond my own feelings, the research is, is thoroughly uh, there to support that we are beings of light at every level. Yeah, well said. I, I think the, the important takeaway 
is uh, there's a lot to discuss in between here, and and we cover a lot of that, you know, in our work. But uh, the the important thing is we're all agreeing that what we're doing here on the ground isn't working, and you in your own life have uh, you know put your own experience to test and find out that you know to find out what actually works. Um, the only and this isn't at all contradicting anybody or, or or yourself or anything you said because they're all extremely valid points. Uh, I just think we get a little schizophrenic, uh, you know, with some of the old concepts of uh, quantifiable science because, you know, that's one half of the equation, as we always say, you know, on this show, is there's two sides to the equation. The other side is the qualitative, and science uh, does not only not recognize that, and I use the term science loosely, but it also has not tapped into how to measure that in the similar fashion as we think of the way we measure quantifiable things. And you mentioned Egypt, for instance. Uh, in Egypt, they understood, you know, at the height of their civilization, uh, very distinctly how, uh, you know, we aren't particles at all. That never existed. They understood the simulation aspects of our entire existence. And that what we talk about as far as protons, neutrons, atoms, you know, really don't exist. And in fact, they're, uh, you know, kind of fractal step downs through the electronic planes of what comprises everything. So rather, I think, uh, I think we can go a lot further rather than saying, well, electricity or those higher forces animate things. Well, that again, connotes a separation. And in reality, it's just an outpicturing of one continuous model. You know, down at Anarchapoco this week, I did a presentation and I was supposed to talk about microbiology and things, but I said, folks, uh, you know, we're missing the boat here because what we're talking about and what I see under the microscope, which is what I did for years, is one, one tiny little pinpoint, uh, you know, part of the whole energy matter continuum. There is no separation between those parts. Again, it's a fractal mirroring of the same things as above, so below. And uh, in order to get further in medicine, we have to understand how those forces that we think uh, animate things are actually, no, just a fractal, again, outpicturing of what's going on at the level of consciousness. And now, with real science uh, and what I do in agriculture, what I do in medicine is we measure those forces, you know, coming from those higher levels of consciousness. It can't be done with electronics and all the things in conventional science where they're trying to figure things out and measure things because those very types of uh, electronics and laboratory procedures will actually uh, buffer out all of those other things that are actually giving everything form in the first place. So, uh, you know, we really have to outgrow this concept that there's a such thing as matter at all, or that matter is somehow connected or produced by or animated. It's just all a matter of perception of what, you know, we experience here uh, with what we put out with our own consciousness in the first place. So, um, you know, great discussion. And, and I believe, again, we can go beyond just the, um, the theory that, you know, we're, we're electrical somehow. No, there's nothing else but electricity. And also the whole evolutionary model, which is kind of, again, this linear construct and, you know, uh, consciousness expands in all directions at all times. 
And, you know, again, evolution gets into this kind of linear reductionist mindset sort of thing. So there's really a lot things, a lot of things we, we need to outgrow. Um, you know, I put out a lot of topics that we talk about, not because I read a book or it's theory. You know, I'm a clinician, I'm a farmer, and, you know, we have real problems that need solutions on the ground. And so we just need to find out what works. And what we find is that waveform mechanics uh, you know, and the understanding that we are in a thought-based universe produced by our own consciousness and everything flows from that point and that we're, you know, really in charge of the whole shebang. That's, uh, you know, that's really where we're going. And then, you know, when you talk about the gurus and people that are, uh, you know, tapping into that consciousness what with waveform mechanics and things, we can demystify that and reconcile that split, that schizophrenic split between our left and our, you know, right brain, so to speak, it, you know, it's not really our brain, but you understand what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, just take it all the way to the next uh, phase. And in our clinical work, too, we find that, uh, you know, not only is diet not the thing, but it's more should be, uh, you know, approached from understanding diet as a reflection of where we're going at other or where we're at in other levels of our consciousness of the food choices we, you know, we make and everything. But um, we also know from our laboratory medicine, a, a fact that uh, we derive at least 70% of our nutrition directly from the atmosphere and the breatharians and the gurus and all those folks that, you know, you know, have kind of proved that out in their, their own lives and, and, and get even more than 70% of their nutrition from the atmosphere. Well, in waveform mechanics and things, we can explain exactly why that is not only true, but how we can also all get there and not be dependent on anything external to ourselves. So that's a lot of comments and everything, but uh, you know, what we're trying to do is just kind of elevate that whole conversation. So humanity can, you know, just get onto the next step. And you've done an amazing job with, uh, you know, connecting a lot of dots. And I love reading, you know, a lot of that same research, but again, when it comes to rubber meets the road, uh, you know, the only thing that explains everything is going beyond concepts of matter in the first place. And, uh, you know, that gets into sunlight, of course, which understands that this unified, uh, you know, system that we inhabit, you know, there's no separation between ourselves and the sun and we're individualizations of the same pattern. So when we start healing those levels of separation, then not only do we get those informational fields uh, directly, but then our consciousness is healed and all those splits are healed. And, uh, you know, with people like you coming up with ex ex uh, actual technologies, you know, and with raw optics that allow people to be less interfered with, with those things that creates a schizophrenia in the first place is remarkable. So uh, again, as Michael already said, you know, my, my hat's really off to everything that you've achieved there. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I, um, you're speaking my language. I just want to say, Dr. Bear, it's really, that's what I want to be more focused on this type of discussion that everything is just a continuum of energy and electricity, just maybe slowed down in a sense, or, you know, you use different, a little bit different terminology, but for me that, that, in intuitively and based on what I've come to understand is the reality, but coming from, you know, the, the worlds where I'm typically speaking on podcasts, people have a really hard time sometimes swallowing the pill of what many consider woo woo, 
even if it's just higher levels of understanding that aren't, I like what you said as well about uh, substantiated by Western science, because people treat science like the be all end all. And based on a number of things, including books about Western science that I've read, but also, um, you know, things I've learned about that aren't considered science, but are in inherently true. I've also come to have tremendous, or at least to see the limitations of science, if not to have doubts about it. Um, you know, for example, there's a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn, where he speaks about how all of science is not linear growth, but it's actually these paradigm shifts is the term he coined and these revolutions that occur where for largely a generation, we're living in basically the outdated paradigms of the previous generation. And it takes like all of those experts basically to die for the for things to really shift. And it's through these revolutions that that occurs. So for us to assume that what's currently held is true by experts and scientists today is actually true is just like saying that, you know, the bureaucrats in charge of the government have everyone's best interests at heart all the time. And it's just couldn't be further from the reality. So that's, um, that's what I've come to understand as well as reading, you know, books, for example, about um, electromagnetic radiation and the work of Dr. Andrew Marino, who was the protege of Becker from the body electric who wrote the body electric and Marino went ahead and studied how these external fields, of course, could affect this internal system that Becker was describing and went ahead and got himself into a lot of trouble challenging the power companies and all sort of legal battles as a scientific witness who also happened to have, in addition to his PhD, a law degree. And because he had a law degree, he was really dangerous when they would cross-examine him because they couldn't put anything past him as the lawyers, because he was also a lawyer, just also sitting on the witness bench. And therefore, you know, the they, they gained a lot of attention and led to a lot of research and study by even the Navy on the effects of radar. But all of that was classified, hidden, uh, it sort of swept under the rug. And their lab also concurrently was defunded because it was a Veterans Administration lab in Syracuse. And so, you know, the whole electromagnetic field thing was able to explode a decade and, and a half later in the 90s when cell phones were invented, you know, and this was before I was born, but that's how it happened based on my, my research and understanding. And even the people who were appointed as the head of the, the lobbying industry for the telecommunications um, industry, basically the lobbying body is called the cellular CTIA, Cellular Telecommunications Industry Association, also known today as just the wireless industry. And the guy who was the, the first chair, the head of that body named Tom Wheeler was eventually like almost 20 years later appointed to be the head of the regulatory body by Obama in 2008, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, which he used his abilities to pass and un, uh, basically to pass something that wasn't through Congress or anything, but called Spectrum Frontiers, which is what allowed for the basically use of broader wavelengths that include the bands for 5G and what you know, they say is for faster internet and self-driving cars, but is also for a entirely internet of things, surveillance-based society based on a lot of the evidence out there today. And so, you know, and there was actually, there were actually researchers who conducted the study uh, that the telecommunications industry 
began when Motorola was sued for causing someone's brain cancer in the 90s. And, and this lawsuit and these lawsuits have been accumulating and more and more people have been suing. But based on certain legislation and that I'm, I'm not super familiar with all of these details, but basically there's legislation that was passed that sort of immunized the telecommunications companies against litigation and being held liable for damages. And so one of the researchers actually who was in the study for, you know, for the, the body of the telecommunications industry that participated in a lot of the corrupt research actually came out later on. His name's Dr. George Carlo. And he actually said what was going on, like decided to be a whistleblower. And apparently he faced some real challenges as a result of doing that. And, um, but his, his story's out there, Dr. George Carlo. So yeah, I, I'm thoroughly skeptical of Western science on a number of levels for these reasons <laughs> and many others. And I'm totally with you, you know, and then like reading about Ram Das and all these Ram Das was the first spiritual book I ever read be here now. And it was so mind opening uh, that, you know, it's hard to go back when you have an, at least a taste of that understanding. You know, it's kind of like I find myself just seeking for that understanding yeah. and nothing else really. I mean, we're at the point so, right now. Uh, I was just going to say, Bear, we're at the point right now where I think finally the Western mind, and this is something what we do with AlphaCast, is ready for the new real full spectrum science, which science is, and I'm not talking about the edifice the, of the, the body politic that is currently science. I'm talking about the real scientific method, which is looking at the full spectrum reality from what we can observe and what we can understand is ready for the uh what we call metaphysics right we're ready to now finally engage it all into a spirit science of sorts where we can we can take in the the traditional eastern mysticism and stuff from the mystery schools and and esoteric traditions and compile that with um you know the newest technologies that stuff that like bear uses that is actually um, scientific, but is uh, is challenging because it's the physics. It comes down to the physics and understanding the physics needs to be completely rewritten. And but we're there. We're like almost there, Matt. To and so what you're doing is exciting because you are you're in a journey right now at your your young age to to really experience that. And like your generation is going to see this massive this revolution in science. I truly believe that. And we're where the reductionist model of, of just trying to reverse engineer thing by getting to the smallest parts um, is been completely um, disrupted through quantum, through the quantum revolution or the, the, that we're seeing that, Hey, we, the farther we go down, the crazier it gets. It doesn't make any sense. That's because it's not based on reductionism, right? It's, it's the opposite. So we need to go to source, which would be the sun and then go and then look down from there. And then we can see everything through our hard intuition and knowledge and wisdom, which has all been traditionally spiritual, but as bear says in in ways that is very scientific when in terms of waveform mechanics and these the new physics that's coming we can understand that with our more western mindset and open it up to where we finally have a true holistic model of reality based that in the fact that it is all information it's a it's a thought-based reality and it's um you know so anyways it's a really exciting time for me because i'm seeing it i'm in very soon here we're gonna see it and um you know, so it's, uh, I appreciate what you're doing because you are one of those bridges 
you're one of those bridges for um, the Western uh, mindset to start to really unravel all this stuff. And you're and the best way for me to do it is prove it in our lives, right? Prove it through how it affects our life. Like I get this all the time. Oh, you have crazy ideas and you have weird beliefs, but look at my life. I'm healthy. I'm never sick. I'm always, you know, I'm pretty much always happy in a good mood, have vital life. And it's because of that greater understanding as like, we are in charge. We are the, the consciousness as Bear said, that's connected to the sun. It's like a toroidal field, right? Where the sun is hitting us and we're going back in the sun. It's this, it's this loop. It's this loop of, of zero point energy. And um, we're there. We're almost there. Uh, go ahead, Bear. Yeah, I, I'd say we're, we're already there and we've never <laughs> left there. We just don't realize it yet. Uh, what, Matt, I had more of a, a question for you. Just, just actually your thoughts on something. Uh, quick comment first. You know, we can explain exactly how a cell knows how to differentiate into a Cooper cell in the liver or, or, you know, any cell that you can think of, that's, that's very understandable. And it's also uh, would be the same for how does an apple tree know how to express, you know, into a full grown tree with the characteristics of, uh, you know, the tree that, you know, dropped its seed on the ground for a new tree to, um, you know, to grow from that, you know, it's going to have the same taste and all these things. Well, uh, the great hint is that the um, information for an apple tree to do that is not contained in the seed. Uh, it's nowhere near the seed. And, and, you know, that's another whole really fun discussion. And it would also explain how cells differentiate. But my question for you is, um, you know, you obviously came in wired a little bit differently. <laughs> and, um, you know, and just looking at things different, asking different questions, uh, desiring different experiences, not willing to settle for, uh, you know, uh, just a mediocre level of health or, or life. So um, how do you account for that compared to what we see around us with a lot of people that just are maybe not even asking those questions or uh, willing to take the risk, but actually... Um, you know, getting triggered, you know, quite a bit when this kind of information is, uh, you know, when they're exposed to it. So uh, why is it that, that, you know, you come in the way you do, uh, you know, it's, and I think uh, the answer, you know, can also be found in that my little comments about that particular apple seed expressing in a yeah. certain way, but, but go for it. Well, that's the direction I was going to go, uh, especially given the tone of this interview and which I which I really appreciate. Normally, I would, in response to that question, try to logically explain things that I observed that were different about my childhood. But honestly, I have no idea. I mean, like I just always I, I knew from a very young age that I was that I'm bound to do something very important in my lifetime, in this lifetime. I'm not fully sure what that is, but I'm definitely, you know, helping people at least with their understanding of how light affects the body right now. And for me, that's amazing. And having a business that I have at my age and helping people sleep better is fantastic. So I couldn't say, but it, it ever since I was really young, uh, I can say whenever I would watch like a movie and see a character who was really inspiring and doing something great, I would always really resonate with that character. Not like I'm observing them, but like I am them and that like, that's, what I'm supposed to be doing something important. So, 
uh, yeah, I tr- try mm-hmm. to keep my ego out of it as best I can, but I just feel like I want to, I'm just inherently driven to do great things. And I do feel, uh, you know, sort of concurrent to our earlier conversation before we went on air about this inner challenge I have about even just something as, as seemingly simple as like a home base as a nomad who's been traveling for so long. I, I feel that um, having such, I have such strong ambitions at my core that sometimes I make it hard. I feel like I make things hard for myself because I feel like if I'm not seeing huge results, you know, in every moment, all the time, I'm feel like I'm somehow slacking off from task. Uh, if that makes any sense, I think oh, yeah. it probably does. So, but you know, that's just how it is. And maybe you have, maybe you could help me better understand it at, at some point. I, I am. Um, well, one well, thing, um, one thing I'll say real quick, and this goes back to um, your comment about science, uh, the evolution, how it comes in spurts, right? Um, how we have these big innovations. Well, that's from individuals. That's from an individual's consciousness, like a Copernicus or a Galileo or, you know, um, or a Walter Russell or uh, Tesla uh, that, that spurns that. And what is that? That's this divine spark. That's this, this, this consciousness that, that comes into this reality that, that provides us with this next step. And so uh, this is important for us to understand that it's not this generic kind of evolution, but it's about the individual hero's journey is so important for all of our, because we're all to tap together, right? I believe we're all in the same field. We're all part of the same source. We're all essentially um, a um, expression from the same place. That is, a, the, and that portal is for this reality right here that we're all experiencing is coming from the sun. So you're, and perfect embodiment of that idea that you are here to give us that little boost in the same way that I'm here to do on my end with what I'm doing. And I think there are special individuals in the history of humanity that we know of that are, have done that. So um, the more that we can look into that and understand that, I think that's exciting. Um, and uh, so, yeah, whether that's a, uh, we go into reincarnation or, or what, on the spiritual side, I think it's important to um, be aware of that and to uh, embrace that and to celebrate that because individualism, while we all are connected, the individual um, uh, incarnation uh, that affects this reality and, and the ability for one person to change the timeline is fascinating to me and really empowering. What do you say, Bear? Well, I I just sum it up by saying we are a sum of our experience, and uh, you know our experience is much um, uh, more encompassing than what we usually consider. So uh, it's all there waiting to express. So I believe certain people, you know, just have their memory a little bit closer to the surface, and you know, express more in any given embodiment, you know. And, and again, we can really get into the waveform mechanics behind that and explain uh, what an Akashic record is and, and, and how that works and even tie it into the periodic table of elements as we think about it, which is taught completely wrong in conventional chemistry. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of interesting things. But, you know, Matt, obviously you're drawing on, um, 
you know, the totality of your consciousness. It's been around the block more than a few times, probably. And, uh, you know, that's what you're bringing forth right now. You know, another comment, you know, we, we talked about being nomads. And I also, you know, told you that my wife and myself had a little bit of that inclination in ourselves. And, you know, if you look at intelligent quotients that have been developed in order to measure intelligence in the population uh, that have gone well beyond what we do in academics, you know, where you take an IQ test and give yourself a number, which is a bunch of crap, um, you know, because that's not what intelligence is. But there's been some clever intelligent um, constructs, tests that have been developed that uh, look at things in a much more, you know, I use the term loosely holistic way. And their findings are quite remarkable. And they find that nomadic people in the world test out highest in intelligence uh, just because of, you know, the, the, the degree of flexibility and, and the lifestyle they adapt it you know, uh, requires them kind of tapping into a, a whole different uh, method of reality that isn't based on materialistic roots. So um, any, you know, so it, I don't think there's any coincidence either that you find yourself, uh, you know, just enjoying traveling the planet and, and uh, you know, being resourceful enough to figure out how to operate a multi-million dollar company at the same time. So uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's great to hear uh, hear you share that from that perspective because I, like I said, I can feel the world, maybe the the, the ground level. I, I think you described it as on the ground. Yeah, I can feel the ground part of things sort of drawing me a little bit, maybe more than I want it to sometimes, or than it than it, it's meant to. And uh, that that explanation of nomad nomadic lifestyle is very very nice for me to hear. So thank you for that. That's great. Yeah, and actually, some you know, I've been doing a lot of research on um, on bloodlines going back from you know the days of Atlantis, pre-Diluvian, and what a lot of people have tracked uh, is that those those uh, tribes that when Atlantis fell um, became nomadic. And those uh, became what were called the, uh, the Tartarians, but it was actually like the Huns uh, and Attila the Hun and a lot of the tribes that came down from um, uh, Northern Europe into Rome. <clears throat> those were very, actually much more advanced um, than what we've been told is, you know, we're told that they were the quote unquote barbarians. But in fact, they were nomadic for a purpose because they were going all the way back to their spiritual kind of residence from the Atlantis and Lumerian times even. And so they understood that, um, you know, to be in the flow doesn't, doesn't mean you have to have uh, castles and, and war. And even though they became warlike, but um, they were in that flow when they were constantly moving. And, and I think that's important, uh, Bear, is to stress that. Yeah, like, you know, in another way, too, we're spiritual nomads when we're always trying. If we're really spiritually tapped in, we're always on a journey. We're always going places with our spirituality, with our consciousness. So to be able to embody that at your age, Matt, you said before show, like I've been asked a few times in our community lately with people in their 20s what should i do right now should i like start prepping should i start a farm should i start a business and my go-to answer is go out and explore the world have that adventure while you don't have as many responsibilities maybe you don't have children yet you're not married like because i feel like you get more and more tied down traditionally especially in the west the older you get so to go out and have those journeys and experience the world so important my question for you right now though is 
how are you doing that right now? I mean, are you having to get tests everywhere? I mean, for you, how's that experience been traveling in the world of COVID? Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, when the I was actually in Costa Rica intending on sort of like living here, basing myself here for a little while, just about a year ago. And that was when the outbreak began, quote unquote, outbreak. And the I don't really know what to make of it all. I, I really haven't invested my energy into it because I just felt like you know I could have become an expert on if I did, I would have become an expert on all the things that are wrong with COVID and all the, the lies and manipulation about it. But some part of me, I think a more intelligent part of me just decided to let a lot of other people focus on that and do the research and interview the experts and just <laughs> kind of like live in my blissfully, my blissful ignorance that just intuitively knowing that something is awry and that I'm just not going to buy into it. And I actually said, as soon as it was happening, I was like, I, whatever this thing is, I want to get it just so I can, you know, if it's even real. Uh, but anyhow, I did leave Costa Rica because when you have the U.S. government and in the beginning, no one knows what's really going on. And so I did I was kind of a little bit afraid, especially being out of the country um, and like not having a clue what might happen. You know, if it was some Armageddon like scenario that maybe I would <laughs> and stuck and, you know, not have access to resources. So I just decided to go home. And I was actually with a cousin of mine who lives in Idaho. Uh, or at least his, his family lives in Idaho and they have lots of guns and elk and, you know, all that stuff. So I thought safe bet, go to Idaho, live off, you know, be in, live off the grid. And then I ended up um, going from there to San Diego about five, six months in, in June, when things sort of calmed down a little bit. And then I stayed there for about six months, just kind of like getting roots under my feet, which was actually nice. You know, I wasn't nomadic those six months. I was pretty stable. Although many would say if you move every six months, you're effectively nomadic, which is kind of like where I'd like to be no matter what. Um, maybe not every six months, but you get the idea. And so the point is getting out here wasn't very hard to Costa Rica. I just had to get like fill out a health form and say I didn't have certain symptoms and then just come in and that was basically it and pay for a certain travel insurance to go to Mexico where I went recently for a Dr. Joe Dispenza event was also pretty easy. They didn't require anything at all, actually, any any information. Um, so you just travel like normal there. So Mexico is pretty open. Costa Rica is pretty open. Other countries are a lot more closed. But I think what I'll, what I'll do if I am going to foreign countries is just go to the places where I can live somewhat more normal of a lifestyle. Um, you know, I'll be going to Hawaii in a couple of weeks and yeah, maybe go to Europe over the summer and Europe should be relatively open. I actually, speaking of Atlantis, I want to go to the, um, Delphinians, uh, you know, area Delphi and go to the Oracle of Delphi and touch the Omphalos, the stone mm. in the middle. That yeah. was my advice from someone I worked with who supposedly tapped into the Akashic records, um, which is sounded like a cool experience regardless. So <laughs> if Greece is open, I'll go to Greece and I have an Irish passport, thankfully. So that really can help my nomadic abilities to have an American and an Irish passport just in many different cases. And uh, yeah, so it's not that hard. It's pretty straightforward. Very Sounds nice. like a great plan. And, you know, um, there's something to that touching the stone because uh, when you look at spatial uh, coordinates in terms of geography, you know, from our perception, 
and there are real consciousness, sentient, you know, uh, people having experiences and, and also understanding that time is also a, a perceptive construct. Um, it leaves a real imprint, a real residence, uh, literally a download in that particular place. And so when you go to some of these places where certain events have, you know, historically happened, uh, you can get, you know, more than just a contact reflection from that and real adepts can go there and literally replay the whole video at will. Uh, but, you know, for those of us that are a little less tapped in that way, you can uh, very much get a lot of information on, on other levels and insights that will you know, unfold for quite a time. So I would also encourage you to go touch the stone if, if you're inclined to do that. So, so Matt, what do you see going, uh, uh, we'll comment on that too, but what do you see uh, also going forward for yourself? Um, you know, you, you've achieved quite a lot uh, in a short time and uh, any plans beyond what you're doing now? Yeah, thank you. Well, to comment on the Omphalos, the stone, it's interesting to think that like back in the day, the Oracle, like Delphi was a very, you know, considered like the center of the universe and the Oracle at Delphi was sort of considered the center of that in the Greek times. And so like they would, people would come from all around the world, literally to get wisdom and to think that that's just an archeological site that us mortals can, I mean, not, we're not really mortals, but you get what I'm joking about. Um, that we can go and actually touch that and be there in the presence of that. And it's just sort of like, an, Oh, let's take a picture. But if you're, you know, I can imagine, like you said, if you're tapped into certain energy, um, that it could be, it could be tremendously beneficial on many levels. And also it was interesting to look at that, the picture of the Oracle at Delphi and then the Omphalos and notice that it's shaped like a pine cone, especially having been at Dispenza's week long event where he talks a lot about, you know, the, basically the pineal gland and how it's shaped like a pine cone and, or at least um, it, it, there's some quality that is similar. And that's why, you know, the, the Pope has a little pine cone on there uh, on his staff and in the Vatican, they have a pine cone and it's sort of symbolic in a lot of places and cultures, but the omphalos is actually sort of shaped like that. And it's in the center of sort of like a, a dome that basically looks like a brain with the pineal gland kind of sitting in the, Based where the pineal gland sits sort of in the midbrain area. And I just thought that was an interesting coincidence that it's sort of like the brain of the universe in, in ancient Greece and that that's where they can download that wisdom. So, and that our brain essentially is sort of like that, a big antenna for downloading wisdom and information from the universe. I just, you know, might be uh, an inaccurate observation, but it seemed pretty on point if I could say so. So anyhow, yeah. Um, yeah, as far as the, my plans for the future, uh, this has been a particularly inspiring conversation and I really appreciate it. I see myself, you know, continuing down my path of growth and learning. That's really all I want to do is just continue to tap into as much of the wisdom that's available as I possibly can. And whatever that involves, I will... I will accept graciously. So if that involves going different places and traveling, I'll do that. If that involves sort of like, quote unquote, hunkering down a little bit, which I'm often called to as well, and really focusing on studies and things, because that I find it to be pretty hard to go 
deeper into the reading and research that I was doing so much of in high school while I'm kind of in the, let's call it instability, what feels like instability on the surface of the nomadic lifestyle. Um, but again, I'm sure, I'm certain there's a potential in the quantum field that I could be both nomadic and very much committed and focused to my, my at least intellectual studies. I think as a nomad, like we discussed, I'm in a sense focused on the deeper than intellectual studies by being nomadic. And I don't give myself enough credit for that because I think sometimes like I assume that all the knowledge I need is contained in books, which, you know, I, I believe is an inaccurate uh, belief. So yeah, I'd really like to just focus on on that. Um, you know, it's likely that with my business, we'll offer a broader selection of products. It's, it's highly probable we'll offer a much broader selection of products that are solutions to the basically the risks of the indoor damaged, uh, harmful, I, I should say damaging lighting environments. So maybe we're um, offering things like lights, maybe we're offering, we'll, we'll be offering a lot of different things, light therapy sources. I don't want to give too much away, but we'll be offering a lot of, of amazing, a lot of amazing things that people can use in the next couple of years. And my goal is that people can have that sort of stepping stone to go from just focusing on their diet and exercise for health to light and energy. And then as it was in my case, I think people will be more and more ultimately receptive to greater levels of consciousness and greater levels of wisdom, like the things that you guys are clearly focused on. So that's where I see this going. And, and I don't know. I don't think it'll ever end. That'll be my, my life. <laughs> I, <Yeah. like> <laughs> I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely see you just getting started here and have no doubt that, uh, uh, that a lot of greater things here to come. So, um, and, and also in your travels, uh, you know, if you ever find yourself in the Northwest, you always have a, a home here for as long as you need. We've got I really uh, appreciate a that. beautiful Actually, place was- and yeah. So uh, come visit us anytime. As as we were speaking, I was getting some downloads that I should definitely come visit you guys sooner than later. So I'll definitely send you a message. But um, I would, you know, for me, I find myself somewhere when I decide to go there, you know. So basically, I'm already decided that I'll come visit you guys. So it's just a matter of time, as as they say. Yeah. uh, yeah, you're welcome about. here to hit the river and and uh, do everything we do and check out the farm. Um, you yep. know, Matt, this has been great. You're you're an embodiment of of really the independent you know vision of the West, right? The individualism, the ability to live your dreams, um, go out, create your own business. Um, there's some chatter here about capitalism and stuff in the chat right now. And I was saying, you know, someone was calling, I guess, calling us or calling you a capitalist. And I'm like, capitalism traditionally is is using money to make money. Um, and it's actually a, a twisted term used by communist socialist socialists to uh, denigrate um, free markets, free market. Um, entrepreneurship is is creating something out of the ether from your thoughts from from your own um, you know creative mental plane and providing that in exchange it's via commerce and it gives you the ability then to live a free life and go out and have these explorations and 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 push the levels of where we can go as as a human race and that is 
what I love about the American dream and what I love about traditionally free markets. And you are, are doing it. And so uh, any comments on that, on how's it been kind of you real quick, I'd love to just touch on, and then I know probably want to go, but on your journey towards being an entrepreneur at such a young age and um, how that came about and how that's been for you. And um, also one other question too, you have a, a glass company and I noticed you don't sell any sunglasses. It's blue blocking glasses. I'd love for you to touch a little bit on that. And, you know, we, we didn't get as deep into. Yeah. Well, I have more time just so you know, I, okay. I can answer these questions. I could go practically as long as you guys want. Really. <laughs> well, um, that's, that's one thing I think a lot of people get confused about. One is being an entrepreneur and being a quote unquote capitalist. And then two, um, you don't sell sunglasses. I'd love for your take on that, but yeah, take yeah, it if, you want. if I could say, if I had to have defense, um, about, you know, in, in a courtroom, I would love you to be my defense. Cause that was very elegantly put the, the way you, you described that capitalism or capitalist is a term used to denigrate people who are trying to do good things in the world. Obviously there are immoral capitalists who um, do things in a way that's not beneficial for their constituents or, or their employees or their, you know, customers. And that is just a matter of consciousness, I think, you know, a, a level of consciousness. But if you have someone who has, or at least has, or is working on higher levels of consciousness, who's engaging in capitalism, I don't think that there could be a much greater pursuit on the ground, as we're saying, you know, because it's really helping just like you guys are capitalists in a sense. I mean, taking resources or utilizing resources from the earth and recycling and building something and educating and helping people. And as a clinician, Dr. Bear, you know, helping people live better lives. And if, if, if that's, you know, in someone's paradigm, a negative thing then I really personally would rather not be a part of that paradigm. And, you know, I could only offer love to someone who's thinks that what I'm trying so to do is bad for the world. Matt, I don't want to interrupt your flow. Hold on okay. to that very quick comment capitalism to me is slow motion precipitation and precipitation is practiced by the highest spiritual adepts historically who are able to understand the origin of everything and their role in that manifestation so they can precipitate directly from the ethers without any in-between steps so capitalism is a very high spiritual practice that allows us to uh, you know, experience that um, slow motion precipitation, if you will, uh, you know, through a medium of capital. And of course, if you understand that, which a lot of the anti-capitals have no clue about, uh, it's just a matter of time and you're probably experiencing it all the time. And a lot of people that are successful in the money world, they find that, well, once they start making money, all of a sudden, it's uh, it just keeps coming quicker, quicker, and quicker, and it's because you're building up that velocity and getting close to that, you know, that instant manifestation principle. So capitalism can be one of the highest uh, or, or most effective vehicles for spiritual realizations. Sorry, go ahead with what yeah, you're absolutely. talking about. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I have a friend who's a yogi in the Kriya Yoga tradition in India, who's a also a nomad and I've met traveling the world now on a couple different occasions and 
he said, contrary to my expectation, he said that it's like a, a tremendous blessing to have a business and means that I'm, you know, in, in his words, very blessed. And I thought that was pretty cool, you know, to hear that from a yogi, but that's just, you know, he, and he works with lots of businessmen as, as sort of clients and it basically says the same thing that you just shared, that it's a way to express, you know, consciousness in the world at, at, in many ways. So anyway, um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. I'm, so we were, we're focused on capitalism and then we're talking about sunglasses. So as far as sunglasses and why we don't sell sunglasses, that is, I would refer back to the part of the conversation where we're speaking about how we are, you know, beings of light and we benefit from sunlight and energy. Putting a sunglass lens on would be like putting a tarp on the tree in the backyard and just hoping that it might photosynthesize because our eye is one of the primary, really the primary receptacle for light in our body, for light energy. And if we put sunglasses on, we're not fully blocking all the light, but we're blocking huge portions, if not all of the most, some of the most important portions of the light spectrum. And so what could be really beneficial sunlight all of a sudden can become extremely damaging light because our brain can no longer, not only can our eyes and brain no longer adjust our body to the wavelengths that are coming in correctly. So like we can start getting more prone to sunburn or even skin cancer because the stimulus for the production of melanocyte stimulating hormone is stimulated through the eye. So our skin can't make as much melanin if our eyes are covered, but that's just one out of potentially hundreds or thousands of processes that are stimulated with light hitting on the eye, not potentially, actually, actually, there's a book called the influence of ocular light perception on metabolism in man and animal, which is from a German researcher. And it's a very science dense light based book, but, um, it's funny, dense light based book, <laughs> but it's dense as far as the research goes, but light in its energy. And he basically observes the research in his own research as well over the past hundred years that show that light affects through the eye alone, every single hormonal and organ system in the body. And that patients with cataracts who become blinded had tremendous abnormalities and all sorts of different hormones and metabolites in their urine. And when those cataracts were removed so that light could pass through their eyes normally, a lot of things just began to normalize immediately. And that's just one example of many, many different things they observed. But so wearing sunglasses is the one of the best ways I would, you know, I would suggest if someone wanted to disrupt these processes in the body. And so therefore, I don't advocate sunglasses. So our products are meant to only be used when exposed to man-made artificial light sources, which can be detriment, which are detrimental to our body, except if they're, you know, incandescent bulbs could be less detrimental and halogen bulbs, like 12 volt halogen bulbs can be less detrimental and intentionally designed red light therapy panels and light therapy panels can be uh, beneficial. Uh, not the bright white sad light boxes. Those I think are not a good idea based on the spectrum that they emit. They could be designed in such a way to be more beneficial, but um, in general, man-made light sources are harmful and the sun's beneficial. So we want to get more of the light. And then the same, and on the same wavelength, uh, sunscreen and chemical sunscreens, I'm, I strongly recommend against people using 
because they absorb into our skin and they're full of, generally speaking, very toxic chemicals that become only more toxic and cancer causing when exposed to ultraviolet light uh, because of certain, basically in, in protecting and dissipating the ultraviolet light energy into heat, which is what these chemicals typically do. They, a large portion of these are degraded into what become really toxic chemicals, all of which are absorbing into our bloodstream. So sunscreen is inherently often very toxic, except what I recommend and use personally, if I'm surfing and it's, I'm in Costa Rica, what I will burn, there's these mineral-based sunscreens like zinc oxide, which don't absorb into the bloodstream. So you can, you have to wipe them off and you can actually probably see, I have a little bit of residue of one still on my face, but um, it just makes you look a little bit all white and crazy, but you just wipe it off afterwards. And that's sort of the, the gist of, that is the gist of why not to wear sunglasses. But on that note, maybe just to share something people can actually utilize based on what I've learned. I'd love to share if it's okay with you guys, some of the steps of the protocol that I call the light diet, which people can actually oh, yeah. utilize to improve their health. Please do. So, and I, I'm interested to know if you do uh, a sun gazing as well, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, so the, the light diet, as I share it typically is eight steps. I'm sort of refining them all the time. So it could be adjusted, but basically the eight steps at the simplest form are sleep with the sun. So sleeping with the sun involves a couple sub steps, which are avoid eating late. So like, you know, basically eating, eating with the sun, um, involves eating. If we are eating food, eating the majority of our food, which I do eat food. I'm not a breatharian yet, but maybe <laughs> one day, uh, which I think is a very valid point, Dr. Bear, that you brought up that we, we didn't speak on much, but I do believe that's very possible based on the research that people can utilize more than just 70% of their energy from light and atmosphere and prana and so on. But anyhow, eating with the sun involves, you know, eating the majority of our calories in the morning and midday hours and very little after the hours of even one or 2 PM, you know, maybe like a light dinner, but usually dinner is the heaviest meal of the day. Whereas based on what I've learned from the circadian biology research and my friend who's a yogi, they both align very nicely that the majority of our food should be consumed when the sun is the strongest in the midday hours, late morning, midday, when our metabolism is most active. And then in the evening, it should be very light food. And my friend who's a yogi also, his name is Balarama, um, and I'll refer to him henceforth as that, but he has opened my eyes to the value of vegan diets and so on. So I'm, whereas in the past coming from the paleolithic world, I was more focused on a seafood based paleolithic diet, but understanding that we can really be, we can be run off of light and energy. I'm, I don't really talk too much about diet because that's the best way in the, in the circles that I've run in to get sort of labeled and attacked. I just focus as the light diet guy, but I do, I am very open to the, the potential of just using a vegan based diet. Although again, there's so many people who are fully carnivore based. And so it's such a touchy subject. In oh, believe me, we know, we know we get attacked by both sides because we are we're on the same level as you, Matt. Go ahead. Great. Yeah. And it's funny to be around again, people like us or Dr. Dispenza, where, you know, he jokes, he jokes very freely about like gluten-free diets and people trying to solve these, all these sorts of issues, whether it's gluten-free or vegan or paleo or keto. And it's like, you know, what are we talking about essentially? But so that's, that's a one piece of step one, sleep with the sun. Another is to watch the sunset. So sun gazing is a, a very, very valuable piece of the protocol and 
that's something that I highly recommend people do. Primarily from my research and understanding for the circadian rhythm setting benefits of sun gazing. Sun gazing. However, I am aware of and not fully studied into, but, but aware enough of the other benefits of sun gazing from the Eastern perspective, you know, and activating the pineal gland. Of course, in the Western research, this is linked to the production of serotonin in the morning, more melatonin in the evening, and all sorts of other chemicals which are related to the pineal gland. So when I learned that sun gazing is this ancient practice used to elevate consciousness and so on and entrain with the greater energy of the universe, it made a lot of sense that the Western research is starting to find bits and pieces of how beneficial it is. So yes, I recommend this. And then I would recommend, and these are just protocols like anyone can use, but basically I would also recommend going to sleep with, um, you know, within a few hours of sunset. That's why the step is generally labeled as sleep with the sun. So, you know, for example, like eight or 9 PM, I find if I can go to sleep like eight or 9 PM and wake up earlier than sunrise to do some sort of meditation or energy practice, that's like my ideal. And again, that's both what I had learned from this Western scientific perspective and am learning more and more. My friend, the yogi does and people like Dr. Dispenza does. And then anyone else who's really often spiritually awakened is waking up at three or four in the morning just by nature and doing their meditation and energy practices. So that's step one, sleep with the sun. Step two is wake with the sun, which involves again, waking up in the morning, ideally naturally before sunrise, even a couple hours before sunrise, like three or 4 a.m. ideally, but I'm not always up that early. In fact, usually I'm not, I'm sort of working that, that direction. Um, but then we would go out and watch the sunrise and that would be a very important thing, just like watching the sunset and setting our circadian rhythm. And then we would want to consume again, our breakfast and any food like in that morning period. So that's sort of the waking with the sun side of the equation. And then living outdoors during the day would be step three. And so that just basically means live outside. So step one and two involve our repair and our setting of our rhythm and timing of our body. Step three involves just being outdoors and connected to nature, connected to sunlight. Uh, and getting that charging effect. Another piece of this step three would be sunbathing amply. So not only just being outdoors and not behind windows and glass and under artificial light sources that disrupt our biology and disconnect us from the energy of the sun, but when, when we actually lay in the sun directly and bathe in it, we get a tremendous number of benefits like vitamin D production and charging of our cellular water and increased production of a lot of different chemicals and hormones and you know the whole the whole shebang is when we're also in direct sunlight it's it's elevated but people have to be super careful with that so that step can become very complicated because if someone has darker skin they can handle more sun uh, and even need more sun oftentimes if someone has lighter skin they can't handle as much sun and need to be more careful building up their exposure so generally as a broad sweeping recommendation, which is not effective for this, but just as one anyway, because people typically want one, I would recommend people start with like five minutes of sunbathing per day, or even, I actually, I would even go a little bit less. I'd say like three minutes on each side of their body and building up by about two to three minutes each day on each side of the body. Even that can be a little bit aggressive for some of the palest people and absolutely insufficient for people with darker skin who 
are often tremendously deficient in vitamin D if they live in a northerly latitude where their skin wasn't evolved. And again, conversely, someone like me, I can barely manage myself in Costa Rica after 9 a.m. because the sun is so so strong that I'm just overheating like all day. If I didn't have a pool to get in 10 times a day, I would be, you know, a raisin. Um, so that's step three, living outdoors during the day and sunbathing amply. Step four is to drink unfluoridated spring water. So, you know, the energy or the, the, the substance in a sense that, that encapsulates the light energy would be water largely in our body. And if it's full of fluoride and all kinds of other toxic chemicals runoff and all the other things that get into municipal water sources, then we're going to have huge issues. That's like a huge broad sweeping thing that anyone can do that can have huge benefits also as well as helping to stop calcifying the pineal gland, of course. Uh, step five, well, actually just back to step four. I mean, you guys are expert on this and helping people source natural probably spring water and, and even maybe vortex and structure and energize their water. So there's people out there who know a lot more about that than I do, but there's lots of ways to do that. Not only getting clean spring water, but structuring it, energizing it, charging it and so on. So then step five is currently to eat a seasonal and seafood based diet. Now, again, based on our conversations about diet, this is always sort of subject to change, but seasonal is the key. So eating basically what's available in nature around us. So it should be probably seasonal and local. But the reason seafood based is a piece is because from my original learnings of the concepts of the light diet, having that omega-3 DHA is very beneficial to the human body. However, again, based on what I've been learning in the last couple of years, even since developing this protocol, it's very possible that we could, if we're at the highest level of functioning, we can either better convert plant-based sources of omega-3 into DHA, like for example, flax. But again, I don't have evidence to prove that that's the case. I just imagine it'd be possible based on all the other things we've discussed as possible, but also that the DHA that we've taken in from our mothers at birth and so on, that we could basically maintain it better throughout our life and not to need to recycle it throughout our, um, throughout our life as much from our diet. And additionally, I wouldn't be surprised if on some more quantum level, we're able to synthesize our own DHA entirely independent of dietary sources. But again, that's me jumping on a bit of a ledge there. But that's step five. That's kind of focused on food. Step six is to take advantage of temperature therapy. So like ice baths, getting in the cold. This, again, things anyone can do. Going out into nature, jumping in a cold body of water, uh, or just even a temperate body of water, like the ocean or a lake or a river or a pool. This has benefits for our cells, kickstarting our mitochondria to produce energy. People are probably familiar with Wim Hof in this community, the Iceman, who as a Northern European benefits really tremendously from cold exposure as most Northern Europeans would because it really optimizes our cells functioning essentially, sort of slowing things down and kickstarting our mitochondria to produce a lot of energy as heat or release a lot of heat energy. And then obviously we could take advantage of things like saunas and so on as well, or just even sunbathing is sort of a form of like heat therapy. So that's another, that, that'd be step six. Step seven would be to avoid man-made electromagnetic field exposure. So things like, for example, EMF from phones, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, you know, the simplest things everyone can do is turn your phone on airplane mode and keep it on airplane mode all the time. And if you need to use it, then turn it off. 
and just keep it off your body. If you need to leave it on all the time, keep it in a backpack or a purse or just keep it across the room so that it, you're not getting irradiated quite as much because distance makes a huge difference. Uh, the biggest, the biggest recommendation is don't live in major cities. It's, you know, they're rolling out 5G technology and there's already a tremendous amount of 4G and 3G, highly damaging wavelengths. Uh, again, people like Dr. Joe Dispenza and other experts out there, and maybe even you guys might believe that we can elevate our consciousness such that these fields don't affect us. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's also possible. But I personally wouldn't take the chance, you know, it'd be like smoking cigarettes while you're meditating and thinking like that that's a good idea. It's probably not the best idea, although it's not necessarily not possible. Like lots of Chinese Taoist Kung Fu masters at the tops of mountains smoke cigarettes all day long and they're very robustly healthy. So obviously our, our energy can overcome a lot of things in the, in the physical world. But anyway, that would be step seven to avoid these things. So also turning off Bluetooth, you know, turning off Wi-Fi while we sleep, killing the circuit in our house, building houses intelligently so that maybe the electrified portion is just one quadrant of the house with the washer, dryer, refrigerator, car charger, whatever it is that we're using. And then the rest of the house is completely without any circuitry whatsoever. Um, you know, I've learned a lot in this period. You guys probably know a ton about this as well, I would imagine. But things like biogeometry and learning about uh, building houses to, you know, in not only in places where there aren't ley lines and geopathic stressors that can affect our body, but also building the structure of the house in a way that is taking advantage of the energy of the earth. Um, there's a great podcast by a friend of mine named Paul Check interviewing a gentleman named Ibrahim Karim, who spent his career studying this energy, this earth energy. You guys may be familiar with him and how it's um, present and how we can do things to our current houses and build new houses to maximally utilize this energy. Just things for people to be aware of as far as these energies. And of course, minimizing exposure to art artificial light. So mm -hmm. those are the things we can do. Um, you know, some of the things we can do as far as reducing our exposure to non-native electromagnetic fields. And then step eight would be to cultivate our inner light. So that was sort of the missing step for a long time for me. But if we do all this external stuff, but we're not working on our own internal state, then it's going to be often futile. And that's what I learned in my own experience. I had done so many things externally, my sunlight exposure, my blue light blocking glasses, you know, taking ice baths and all things that might give me a big hit and make me feel really great. But ultimately, if I was living by the hormones of stress and constantly in a state of panic, then, you know, because of old emotional beliefs and living the emotions of the past over and over again, then I wouldn't make any progress. And that's where I was stuck for a while. And I'm currently working myself out of every day with my meditation practice, practice and my general exercises and consciousness. So that's the, in, in a nutshell, light diet protocol that again, anyone, they're all simple things that you guys probably do almost all of them or all of them already and more, but it's just things that someone who hasn't, like I hadn't learned of any of these things. So if someone had just handed me those steps in the beginning, it would have been so useful to completely reconnect to nature and just get those key main things to do. But if someone needs me to simplify it even more, I would just say, Meditate in the morning, watch the sunrise, watch the sunset, sunbathe throughout the day and eat the majority of your calories throughout the morning. 
and then block artificial light after the sun goes down. So those are like six light focus steps and inner light focus steps that anyone could do that can have a yeah. really huge benefit for our health. Yeah. And, and I think everything that you just said could be uh, the subject of a complete book on everything you need to know about health, you know, and uh, you know, a lot of the things that we've preached to people for a long time and, you know, it, it's really pretty intuitive when you just get the hang of it. And, uh, you know, to validate some of the things you've said, for instance, uh, eating, you know, more say midday, you know, which, you know, I come from a Latin culture and, and they had their big, uh, you know, meal midday and then had siesta time, then went back to work. And if you look at the acupuncture time clock, you know, the way the meridians, uh, you know, flow through just like the sun in the sky. At certain times, there's more energy preponderant in one particular part of the meridian system. And it just so happens that that, that uh, solar archetype energy, you know, represented by the sun is uh, also, um, you know, correlated with the small intestines as well as the heart. So, uh, you know, that means in our bodies at that particular time, more energy is concentrated in our digestive organs. And so it just kind of makes sense to eat our food at that point when everything's there. Uh, you know, another uh, thing you mentioned is biogeometry. And I don't know if you can see, but on my desk here, these are all biogeometry tools. Um, is that from Ibrahim's company? Or oh, yeah. Well, I've, I've been through all their training and everything. Oh, For instance, uh, this is what we call a and human archetype ruler and with different instruments, I can go through uh, every organ system, chakra system, subplane of the mental, emotional, spiritual, uh, uh, physical planes and, and, you know, really ascertain uh, what's going on in particular bodies. Um, I can go into a room and create geometries that are going to, um, could create uh, an abundance of what we call BG3 in biogeometry, which is a three-part uh, wave spectrum that, uh, and, and I can pull apart those, uh, you know, measurements with these little gizmos here and things. And it gets into that qualitative measurement that I was alluding to. But with Wi-Fi and all these things, you know, I would say, you know, just like you said, people get the hell out of the cities, you know. But if you do find yourself there, there's, if you can find a bio, uh, biogeometry um, practitioner, you can actually create in your own habitat that's surrounded with smart meters and, and all these atrocious things. And so that an abundance of this BG3 comes in, it will absolutely overcome those things. So rather than trying to protect yourself in ways, uh, you know, like with a lot of these gadgets we have, um, you know, your technology is much different because you're blocking it through the eyes, which is amazing. But, you know, a lot of these other shields that people use, it can be very valuable. But, you know, the first thing we should do is uh, create that energy in our space that is going to overcome all those lower, what we call them biogeometry, lower vertical noxious carrier waves so that they don't affect our biology as much. So, um, you know, I apply biogeometry uh, in medicine. Uh, if I'm planting a fruit tree outside, I'm going to find out exactly where it wants to be, how it wants to be oriented. And that again is going to allow it to thrive. It's going to allow our body to thrive when we make decisions based on that. And you were also talking about the, 
you know, the formation of the stone that looks like the pineal gland. Well, you know, every shape is a geometry and geometry actually bends. It's a prism that bends the waveforms that then create the actual form that we consider physicality. So it's all about geometry, understanding waveform physics, uh, you know, in conjunction with geometry, then using geometry, just like we do in radiation and geometry, biogeometry, to create the exact conditions that we want that are conducive for health, for our well-being. But most important, when we do that, it increases our perceptive bandwidth so that we can tune into those uh, you know, uh, a much larger context that uh, is going to give us the just innate understanding to come more to the surface as far as having the answers for everything we, you know, we need just in the, in the nick of time always and, and learning to trust it. You know, you don't have to sweat anything really. So anyway, kind of a comment, but, um, but just also, uh, you know, reinforcing everything that you're saying that I'm 100% on board and, and um, so I think we have a lot of commonality is what I'm saying. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I look forward to visiting you guys. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying, Matt, earlier was like, dude, we are there like, and Bear, you know, rightfully says we've always been there. But, um, you know, I feel like we're like, with stuff like biogeometry and biodynamic farming, uh, which is all tied in with, with um, you know, the universal patterns and, and as you kind of hinted at celestial elements up there, right. And how that's affecting us too. And, and then of course the sun um, and then with stuff that <clears throat> with the energy, uh, the new, uh, new biology and the new way we're seeing new physics with waveform physics, like uh, we are in exciting times, my friend. Um, and your protocol there is intuitive. It's um, very helpful to those who maybe don't want to step out towards, you know, what, some would call woo woo because it is, you know, I was thinking it's like what farmers do for, you know, this is what, this is how, this is the life of a farmer. Get up when, before the sun rises, um, you know, have your, a little bit of your time. Maybe you go milk the cows, which is your meditation um, with the animals connected. Then you see the sun come up as you start to work the fields all day. You're outside all day. You're not really around anything man-made. Um, you're grounded to the earth. Like for me, I'm happiest when I'm just in uh, a, a pair of shorts, barefoot, no shirt on, building fences, barefoot in the dirt, you know, um, out here on the property. Um, I'm feeling charged. I'm feeling great. Have your, you know, what did farmers traditionally do? They had their supper, which was like two or three in the afternoon um, that Aunt May would make or whatever. You come in, you have your family supper, you go back out, you work till the sun sets, you get to bed at eight or nine o'clock. I know this because I have farmers and bear knows we came from farmers. Um, and then you do it all over again. And those were happy, healthy people. And they might not have even been eating the best food, um, but they had long lives. And um, that was a culture that the US came from, the agrarian culture. So uh, this is intuitive stuff, guy, people. Um, Matt's dead on too. He said, I wish somebody just had this package for me because unfortunately kids these days 
don't have this information because they're inside, they're on their screens, they're, you know, that's the world that we have currently, but I believe there is a revolution coming. We will have analog technologies. We will have ways to um, uh, have cities that are more integrated into nature that are, that um, have new technologies that allow for the light to come into buildings um, in ways that still give you the general protections that glass would and all that. I think that's all coming with folks like you, Matt, bringing this knowledge to the world. Um, so important. One last thing too, um, you mentioned Paul Check. I listened to a bit of your interview with Paul Check, uh, which was great. And one, I was kind of scanning through it. And one thing you brought up, um, which was really interesting on that talk was um, the, and this is something I experienced for years and didn't realize it was um, contact lenses, which to me is a total representation of the kind of fallacies of the modern marvels of science or of innovation that where we go wrong, where we think, you know, it kind of reminds me of like Tomorrowland in Disneyland, like the modern marvels of today, you know, tomorrow, today, you can put on this little piece of plastic on your eye and then see again. However, what you're doing is you're suffocating the eye, you're blocking important um, info information from the sun. And I realized I had contacts from the time I was, 15, 16 till I got LASIK surgery six years ago, um, I was dealing with a lot of health issues. And I always considered that it was because I, you know, in the germ theory model things, I wasn't cleaning my hands when I was putting my contacts in. So I was delivering, you know, um, disease into my eye that way. But <clears throat> now I've learned that that is not how it works. That's not how disease works. Of course, that's not it. What was happening was I was suffocating one of the most important organs in my body from having that exchange with source, which is the sun. Um, and so just, uh, that was a fascinating thing you brought up on that talk was, uh, for those out there with contacts, I don't know what your opinion is on LASIK surgery, but for me, it changed my life. And they say you're going to have to get touch-ups, but with the sun gazing that I do and the health, the lifestyle I leave, my eyes have not denigrated at all since I had LASIK in 2014. I think I had it in. And um, so anyways, um, maybe close it out with this, but uh, what's your opinion on the LASIK surgery and contacts? Yeah, to this, I would have to defer to a mentor of mine who was the neurosurgeon who um, taught me about or showed me the direction of a lot of these things. And his perspective was that it could be damaging because when they shine the laser and they're doing the work they're doing, there's a photoreceptor in the eye called neuropsin that has a lot of important roles as far as hormonal signaling and all sorts of other things in the body. And they, many ophthalmologists who would conduct LASIK aren't really aware of the existence of neuropsin and, or would be able to know where exactly it is. And so it basically that it's possible that LASIK could affect the non-visual functions of the eye, which is what we're talking about here, that the controlling uh, our circadian biology and so on, empowering hormonal production and so on. So personally, I would recommend people not do LASIK. It sounds like if, you know, if you're feeling healthy and well, and you're having, um, and you're, you know, doing great, then great. And I, I imagine even if someone has had LASIK and they did have this theoretical issue that could come along with it, that mm -hmm. it can be overcome. But in general, the point is I would recommend people with bad vision work to reverse their poor vision through these protocols that I've shared by, for example, sun gazing, 
There's a common method called the Bates method that many people have used to reverse visual issues. There's Dr. Jacob Lieberman, who you guys interviewed, yes. who has helped many people heal their vision by releasing emotional trauma and using color therapy. Yeah, I wish so, I knew about his work before I went into LASIK, believe me. <laughs> just a, a quick comment, Mike, about vision. You know, vision is dependent on or determined by the eye being able to maintain its normal spherical, you know, shape. And what does that is six primary muscles attached to the back of the eye. And like any muscle on the body, they share common networks with organs, meridians, and so forth. So if somebody comes in uh, that I'm seeing and they have, uh, you know, eye issues and people would come in for that, uh, we can determine with our testing which eye muscles are not in their highest level of integrity, trace that back neurologically to the involved organs, meridians, and so forth, which can even get into emotional levels and all sorts of stuff, and then treat on that level. And then that restores the integrity of the eye muscle. You do the same thing if you're repairing somebody's knee and uh, then their eyes improve as they work inside out to improve their health and the real reasons why those muscles, which we understand are no more than a display for particular organ systems. So there it goes, uh, you don't just go in and, uh, you know, surgically repair the, you know, and, and expect, um, and Mike, I'm not saying that it didn't work for you, but, uh, there's a lot more to the picture and there's solutions and things like sun gazing and things can have such extensive ramifications to all of your organ systems. That's why, you know, people do experience uh, improvement in eyesight as well, including when they just clean up their lifestyle. Absolutely. Sorry, just one. No, it makes, that. it makes total sense. And that's, you know, I was, you know, we fall for this, this allopathic model of we have new technology to fix the biology and just with a laser, um, you know, so that was my concern as I become more aware of these issues. But I do like what you were saying, Matt, that we can remediate things. And this goes to the elasticity of neurology and, and all these greater ideas, right, that maybe, and this is, has to do with the vaccine right now and everything going on. Like, I personally believe you're never, you're, it's never too late to fix stuff. You can always fix something. We are, um, you know, superconductors of, of, of energy and we can manipulate and change our physiology with all sorts of different ways through our consciousness, breath, sun, water. For me, that's like the Holy Trinity. So, um, Hey man, this has just been, I could talk all day on this stuff. <laughs> it's just been an amazing talk. Um, we are coming up on two hours. I want to get out in the sun. <laughs> I'm like looking at you, dude, there. And like, it's luckily a gorgeous day here. So I want to get out in the sun. Um, any uh, final words for our audience? Any parting words from you, Matt, um, on uh, health or wellness or journey of life? I would just say thank you for having me on. You know, I think we've given a lot of takeaways that people can utilize and take advantage of. And, you know, the, the advice I would give to others is the advice I try to give to myself, which is just keep on focusing on the higher level of consciousness, which is the work of you guys, Dr. Joe, and all these other people that I'm always striving to do myself. So that's... That's my objective. Yeah. And that's the advice I would give. Thanks for being with us, Matt.
yeah it's been delightful so much i appreciate it hey uh thanks you guys out there listening i uh, thank everybody on the chat uh hit a lively chat on both youtube and d live love you guys um if you enjoyed this please give it a thumbs up a share and um you can find matt uh's company over at raw optics in fact if you are interested in getting some of these glasses you can just go to alphavedic.com forward slash blue blockers and that'll lead you right to the site you'll get a little discount through us um, they are amazing. I've had a number of different glasses and I realized that a lot of those weren't really doing the job. Matt's gone the distance here. These work. These are amazing. So um, check it out, alphavedic.com forward slash blue blockers. And um, yeah, guys, thanks so much. Have a beautiful day. Get outside, get your feet in the soil, get your eyes up to the sun, uh, get your skin exposed. As our friend Troy Casey would say, well, he takes it the next level. And he, um, <laughs> I wanted to bring this up real quick, Matt. My friend Troy Casey Please. went viral. I don't know if you're familiar with Troy Casey. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but chugging pra uh, prana. He was doing the... Um, the <laughs> the butthole sun gazing um which is fascinating but hey man look at that guy he's 55 and crushing it that just goes back to my whole thing is like people you may judge but look at the effects of this stuff it's real it's amazing so get outside get sun as matt was saying look into his protocol um, Matt, do you have that protocol in like a blog post or somewhere people can yeah, access actually, that right now? No, we're going to be releasing it as a course, um, that people can purchase basically with every step and then a full a video with a full description and a simple PDF guide that also explains every step that people can utilize. So that'll be available within the next few weeks on raw under courses in our shop. Very cool. And that's raw as in the sun god, raoptics.com. So check that out, guys. Hey, thanks, everybody. Have a beautiful day. We'll see you uh, next week. And uh, don't forget reunionsummit.com. Uh, please go sign up. It's a free summit. Get in there. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Thanks, guys. Take care.